go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 19, verse 45, and let's stand together in reverence uh, for God's word. Luke chapter 19, verse 45. It says, And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written that my house shall be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching in the daily in the temple, and the chief priests and scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. But they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and scribes with the elders came up and said to him, Tell us by what authority you do these things, or who is it that gave you this authority? And he answered them, I will also ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? They discussed it with one another and said, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe him? But if we say from man... All the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. And so they answered, they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now again, this was not what the people were expecting for him to go into the temple and just start throwing everything around. But from this passage, we're really going to see that, that true disciples, that followers of Jesus Christ recognize the authority of Jesus and that we see this as an incredible opportunity for blessing as we honor the authority of Jesus. Now, we think about authority and authority kind of has like a bad rep, right? Um, when I was growing up, there were bumper stickers like this, right? Question authority. Do they still have these? Uh, this is a big thing. Actually, this is my car. No, this is not my car. Uh, <laughs> but back when I was growing up, this was the thing. Question authority. There was another thing that said, don't trust anyone over 30 and things like that. So there's all these things about authority is bad, you know. But for followers of Jesus Christ, the, the, na the nature of authority is actually very important. It's an important issue. And that's what Jesus actually addressed the first thing he addressed when he went into the temple. Now, there's two things we're going to see about the authority of Jesus. First of all, we're going to look at the nature of authority. And secondly, we're going to look at how do I respond to Jesus, to the authority of Jesus. So let's look at the first, the nature of authority. It's interesting because as you look at this dramatic cleansing of the temple, okay, I mean, it's, it's recorded in, in all the different um, gospels, and um, the first question that the religious leaders confront Jesus with is about authority. When you look at Luke chapter 20, it says, uh, Jesus was teaching the people in the temple, preaching the gospel, and the chief priests and the scribes came, elders came, and said to him, tell us by what authority you do these things. Basically, they're saying, who do you think you are? I mean, that's probably what we would say if somebody did something crazy or radical. See, in the ancient Jewish culture, authority was very important. Back then, you had kings, you had rulers, and you had representatives of those kings and rulers. And the representatives would carry with them this certain power or authority that was given to them by the person that they were representing. And so this was a very central issue of the dispute between the, the Pharisees and Jesus. And that is, where does Jesus' authority come from? 
Because from a historical or from, from a, uh, an outward standpoint, you have Jesus who comes from humble beginnings. Okay, he's the son of a carpenter. He had no formal rabbinic training. He, you know, a lot of um, Pharisees would say, you know, I have authority because I was trained by ancient rabbi so-and-so. So a lot of people would go to who they were trained as, as a part of, you know, their authority to speak. He's no priestly line. So what gives him the right? They're thinking, the, the Pharisees are saying, what gives you the right to... Um, to run the temple, to change the things that we have been in charge of for centuries. I mean, Jesus wasn't shy when he went into the temple. He didn't just say, oh, excuse me, by the way, you know, I'm, I'm here to represent God. He went into the center of worship. That was the first thing he did when he went into Jerusalem. And he literally turned, in, in the other gospels, we see he turned the tables over. He didn't just say, oh, you know, you shouldn't be doing this. I don't like this. He actually physically took the tables and flipped them over and let all the, the, the coins fall on the ground. He made a whip and whipped, I don't know if he whipped them, but making noise, and he drove the people out. And he said, this house, this is my house. This is a, this is a house of prayer. And of course, we need to uh, see why Jesus drove out those who were selling. A lot of us may know, but, but we know that God had given instructions regarding how worship was to be conducted to make sure that it was done in a proper, reverent manner. But over the years, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, had found ways to use these laws for financial advantage. It's kind of like what Rita was saying last week. You know, it's like mafia. They were like the mafia. They were like organized crime because you've got these, these um, hundreds of thousands of worshipers, you know, coming in from all over the country every year. And so the Pharisees are thinking and the, the religious leaders are thinking, man, if we wanted to, we could actually make a lot of money. And uh, that's exactly what they did. They charge extra fees. They use their power and position. They really use it to milk all these worshipers uh, of the money that they have. And Jesus went in and he just, he just tore it apart. Jesus' actions was saying to the entire nation, the religious leaders are corrupt and they have made a mockery of worship. And here's the thing. Now, if Jesus had no authority, meaning he was doing this on his own, if it was just his own personal opinion, his own personal actions, then the Pharisees would own him, right? They brand him as a criminal, radical, he's crazy, he's fanatic, you know, dangerous, just execute him, which they intended to do. But if Jesus had a higher authority backing up his actions, it'd be a different story. If, if, if he was someone that was recognized as having prophetic authority, a prophet from God, then it would actually give him the right to do these things. And that's why it really comes down to a question of authority. Authority gives a person the right to make radical, uh, even very strong demands of his subjects. You look at something as simple as cleansing you know, the temple grounds, we see even three aspects Three important aspects of the nature of authority when it comes to Jesus. That because of the authority that Jesus had, he had the right to interrupt my life. I mean, here are the Jewish people, they're doing their thing at the temple, which they've been doing for hundreds of years, trading sheep, buying stuff, bargaining, bartering. We got it good. Jesus comes in and interrupts everything, brings it to a halt. Jesus, because of his authority, has the right to interrupt my life. Second, 
the authority, Jesus has the authority to expose my sinful behavior. Jesus makes it really clear, hey, what's going on in the temple is not right. This is my house. It is a house of prayer. Your behavior is shameful. And you have made this, uh, you have made a house of worship into a den of robbers. You've made it a trap house. You've made it like a crack den. That's how bad you've made this worship, this place of holy worship. You've made it like a place where criminals just hide out and do their terrible deeds. The third thing authority gives the right, give Jesus the right, is to upheave our lives, to upheave my life. Jesus didn't politely walk up to the man on the money table and say, okay, you know, let's put our money away and, uh, you know, and stop this. Reed and I were watching this, uh, this documentary on, on Canada yesterday. It was really funny. And they would say that Canadians are so polite that you can actually go up to a crowd and say, uh, excuse me, can you move back? And then they'll all turn around and they'll just actually move back. They're just really polite. But you know, and they said in America, you know, you have to yell at them and say all these things. But like here, Jesus, he didn't walk politely up and say, you know, you guys, please, can you walk back, eh? No, he says, he says, no, he says he throws the temple, he overturns everything, makes a whip. He literally overturns, you know, what's happening in the temple. And so you think about this, and what the cool thing is, is in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says that, that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, that when we think about the temple now, the temple is us. That God doesn't just dwell in, in Jerusalem. Uh, he, he dwells in us. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you love and from God, that you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body, in this temple of God. And so what this means is that, that Jesus has authority to interrupt my life. See, normally... Um, we don't like interruptions. I mean, no, who likes interruptions? Because it means, when there's an interruption, it means that I have to stop what I'm doing and I have to tend to something that was kind of outside of my vision. Like, I had a plan, I had my world of the things that I want to do and the way that, and I had it all planned out. You know, if you, you know exactly, okay, this is how much time I have and I got everything. I don't want an interruption. I don't want a phone call that says, I have to do this. I don't want something to happen where I have to do that. We, we hate interruptions, you know, and, and you know, especially like you're, we're talking about you're, you're at work, you know, and you're ready to go home, you're planning, and then all of a sudden they said, oh, by the way, uh, I need you to do this. And you're like, oh, I was just getting ready, you know. And so we, we hate interruptions because because we want to do our plans. We want to do things. We had everything set. But Jesus has the authority to interrupt our lives as he sees fit for the kingdom of God. Right? I mean, if we had plans, but they're not God's plans, then Jesus will interrupt us and say, hey, ooh, wait a minute. If we've lost our way and we're going down a different path, Jesus will interrupt us and say, you know, hey, this is not, you know, what you're looking at and what you're planning, I mean, you know, give you a phone call, even if you were just about to carry out all those plans, or you were just about to do that great thing that you thought you were doing, and God says, hey, you know, wait a minute, I want you to stop. You're like, whoa, that's an interruption. That's a good thing. I mean, we would rather have God 
blow up our plans if our plans are not according to God, right? I mean, we, we would rather have our schedule changed if, if we don't have time for God, like we don't have any time for God. I'd like my schedule to change. We'd rather change course if we know that our path is leading in the wrong direction. And so the authority of Jesus says Jesus has the right to say stop what you're doing right now and think about it. And we don't say to Jesus, oh, well, um, that's really good. I'm gonna put it on my list of to-do things and uh, when I'm finished doing my plan, then I'll tend to know. He says, right now, let's stop. That's an interruption. The next thing about uh, the authority of Jesus is he has the right to expose our sin. Now, again, this is a hard one because it's like um, we kind of want him to do this, but then we kind of don't. I mean, you know, it's like we say, well, I know that this is the right thing to do, and I know that, that, that God's been kind of putting it on my heart and kind of pricking me, but I just really, it's not the right time. Or we know it's something I'll, I'll get around to. Or we say, well, I know that this is not really that good. Or I'm, I'm taking a big risk here. Or this is really kind of not a good thing. That if other people knew about this, I'd, be, I'd feel kind of ashamed. Um, but, and then God says, no, you know, I, I, because Jesus has the authority he has the right to, to expose our sin. To really say, hey, what you're doing right now does not honor God. What you're doing right now has to stop. It is a sin. It is a sin against God. It is taking what is sacred and beautiful in your body and my body, and it is giving it over to something that is not what the body was meant for. And that's sin. And God, and, and, and Jesus has the right to say that. I mean, if anybody else says that to us, we'd go, hey, what gives you the right to say this? I know you, blah, 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 you know, things like that. We try to say that to Jesus. Whoa, what gives you the right to say this? I don't, oh, wait, you're sinless. I can't say anything. Why? You're the son of God. So when you say something about my life that I need to change or that I'm not doing right, you have that authority to do so, to really call me out and, and to say, hey, this needs to stop right now. And, and that's what, as we think about following Jesus Christ, as we think about um, <clears throat> uh, uh, celebrating Easter, um, we need to really think about the idea that, that, that God, if he's calling out right now about some area in our lives, he has the authority to do so. He has the right to do so, and we need to respond. The third thing about Jesus' authority is that he has the right to upheave my life. Now, we don't think of upheave too much, but I was trying to think of what's the verb for upheaval. I guess it's upheave. Because um, so, normally I think of upheave as throwing up, but upheave would be just upheave your life, you know? Um, and God, has, Jesus has that right to upheave our life. When our circumstances uh, don't work out the way we planned, sometimes that's an upheaval. Uh, when we come to a crisis, when things are hard, when we experience persecution and hardship, when our life is falling apart, when we feel like sometimes, you know, I can't take it anymore, or, or I don't know what to do with my life, these are sometimes the ways in which Jesus says, I'm exercising my right, my authority to, to upheave your life right now, because you know, when we think about our lives, um, 
you know, we, we have our own plans and, and our own things. And, 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 and sometimes God just says, you know, I, I just need to tear down these dreams and tear up these things that have been going on because it's too long and it's too messy. Um, in architecture, um, we talk about, you know, when my dad was working, he said, oh, you know, actually the, the thing I don't like to do is like redoing a home. He said that it's really hard to take a home that's kind of messed up and write, like build it up people build, you know, you wreck the shell and try to build it up. It's actually very hard because you don't know where the structure is. You don't know how, what the integrity of the walls are. He says it's much easier if you just tear the whole thing down and rebuild from scratch because then, you know, you, you know what you've got here and here. And sometimes I feel like that's like our lives, you know. It's like God's looking at our lives sometimes and he says, you know, after all these things and these things, I just have to tear it down. Sometimes. Sometimes it's our career. Sometimes it's relationships that are very important to us. Uh, sometimes it's dreams and plans and things that we've invested a lot into. But they're not what God wants. And God says, man, you're in too deep now. The, 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 the structure of everything is falling apart and I can't build the things that I want to build in your life spiritually when you've already constructed this, this mess of a building. I need to tear it down. I need to upheave the whole thing so that I can do my work to do the things that I want to do in your life, this holy temple of God. And, and so it's not easy, but we thank God. We thank God for his loving upheavals in our life. That, that, that he has the authority to do that. And so this is really the nature of authority, that, 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 that Jesus has the right to interrupt my life. Jesus has the right to call me out on my sin. Jesus has the right to upheave the things that are going on in my life, no matter how long or how much I've invested in these things. Jesus has the right at any time to say, we're gonna knock it down and we're gonna do something else. And, and, and God calls us to surrender to his authority. And that's what we look at. This brings to the next point. What is, and this is most important, how do I respond to Jesus' authority? Go back to John 21, and Jesus says to the Pharisees, he says, oh, let me ask, you know, they ask him, what gives you the right to do this? By what authority? And he says, okay, let me ask you a question. Uh, baptism of John, uh, was it from heaven or man? And uh, they say, well, if we say from man, then, you know, if we say from heaven, they'll say, uh, Jesus will say, okay, well, why didn't you do anything when he was here? Why didn't you do anything when John was arrested, was beheaded? You didn't do anything. If you really thought he was from heaven, why didn't you do anything? But if we say, oh, it's from man, then people will stone us because they, they love John. They think John is a prophet. And so they say, oh, well, uh, uh, we don't know. <laughs> and Jesus says, okay, well, then I won't tell you by what authority I do things. And this is, you know, Jesus, what he's doing here is he's saying to them, I want you, he could say, I do this by the authority of God, but what he's really doing, he's saying, I want you, Pharisees, to admit, to confess that I come in the name of God, that Jesus comes in the name of God. And they're unwilling to do so. Uh, they're stuck. And they'll just kind of back off and say, we don't want to acknowledge this authority of this rabbi. Uh, this rabbi that's telling us what to do. So uh, we can't do anything, but we'll just say, I don't know. I don't know. 
But Jesus doesn't let them go. In verse nine, he, he, um, he brings up a parable and he says, uh, this man planted a vineyard and he says, he, he, let it, he lent it out to the tenants and went out to another country for a long while. Then when, they came, when the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants, they beat him, beat the, uh, the servant and sent him away empty handed. So then the, uh, the master sent another, the owner sent another servant, but they also beat him, treated him shamefully, sent him away empty handed. He sent yet a third, this one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I know, I'll send my beloved son and perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, this is the heir, let's kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. And then, the owner, then what the, will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and he will give the vineyard to others. So we look at this and say, well, what's the point of this story? Jesus is communicating to the Pharisees in particular the futility of rebellion against the authority of God. See, this, this story actually, it's kind of humorous because this is a very common setting. This, this happens so many times in, um, in, the, uh, in the Near East at that time that a wealthy owner will own lots of property and he will have these tenants who will take care of that property for him and then he will in fact go and say, okay, now that you've been taking care of this for a year, I want you to give me you know, what's mine. And um, <clears throat> so the worker, the owner sends out the servant and the, 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 the tenants in the vineyard go, you know, you know what we should do? We should beat him up and send him away with nothing. You know, and, and you know, you'd look at that and go, um, okay, you know, I wouldn't do that, but I mean, you know, whatever you want. So you, you do that, and then verse three, then it says, uh, and then they do to another, another, and you're like, what are these tenants, what's their, you know, what's, what's the plan here? Like, what are you trying to accomplish? And then it says in verse 23, it says, the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? He says, I will send my beloved son and perhaps they will respect him. And see, we see here the idea of respect, of honor, meaning uh, uh, that they will honor his authority. That if I send my son, they'll know that I'm sending someone by my authority to collect what's mine. And then you look at verse 14, this really kind of twisted logic of the Pharisees. They say, hey, this is the heir. This is the son. Let's kill him, and then the inheritance will be ours. Now, if you really think about that plan, you'd say, and there's some flaws to this plan. I mean, if you kill the owner's son, and then you think the owner's gonna let you keep the field, and in fact, you think that the owner's gonna actually give the inheritance he was gonna give to his son to you for killing his son. And Jesus is saying, well, basically he's saying, you know, you Pharisees are idiots. How stupid can you be to really think that rebelling against God is going to bring blessing upon the nation? It's going to, to continue to allow you to be the ones to, to, to take care of the kingdom of God. God is, is super gracious. Um, he is very patient. Uh, but what but, but Jesus is saying, if we continue in rebellion against the authority of God, it will not go well for those who treat God's authority lightly. And rebellion is not just about doing evil things. Rebellion uh, is, is the stubborn refusal 
to do the right things. It's not just doing bad things. It's saying that, that, that there are the right things that I'm called to do because of the authority of God and I'm refusing to do them. We look at things like the Ten Commandments and the, honoring the Sabbath and though that's not really a, a, you know, a command that's upon us, but yet at the same time, why does God give this type of command? Because he says that, 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 that we need to understand that our lives are not because we work so hard. It's because we trust in God. And if we violate the plan of God by living a very unbalanced and unhealthy life because we think that everything depends on us, <coughs> then we're violating, we're rebelling against God's command to Sabbath, to enjoy his goodness. God says, do not murder. Now he's saying, you know, we should love. And if we refuse to love, if we refuse to forgive, when God is calling us to love and forgive, we're rebelling, right? If we're choosing, picking and choosing who we want to love and who we don't want to love, what we want to do and what we don't want to do for people uh, uh, because of my selfish uh, reasons. And when God is literally saying, you need to love this person, you need to forgive this person, and we in our hearts say, well, I'm refusing to do what you not ask me, but command me to do, then we are rebelling against the authority of God. Uh, do not commit adultery. Do not covet. God is, is, is saying that, that, that there are, 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 are good things about disciplining our lives. That, that are we uh, exercising that discipline to rein in some of our desires that, that, that master over us? Or are we feeding our affections with, with the world? Or, or, feeding, or are we feeding our spirit instead with, with things that produce godliness or faithfulness? And if we're not doing that, then God is saying we are, in a sense, we're rebelling against God. Talks about you should have no other gods, no other idol, God alone. If we're choosing a way that's other than God's way, and we know this is God's way, and we know this is what God wants, and we choose another way, and we don't turn back, and we keep doing that, and God keeps putting up those interruptions, keeps giving those phone calls, keeps giving those texts, boom, 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 you're on the wrong way. Move, move, change your way. And we keep saying, no. It's too far, God, I've gone too far. Or I'm too much into this now. There's no way I'm going to change now. And God's saying this is an act of rebellion. That we're rebelling against God's authority. And God says that, that, that Jesus is saying that, that there's a foolishness attached to rebellion. That if we think that we can continue in rebellion and not uh, experiences the consequences of rebellion and really think that we're going to continue to have God's blessing poured in our lives, things like that, and continue to, to carry on God's will and carry on his kingdom, and yet we will live in rebellion against God constantly over and over again. God says, you are um, mistaken about his grace. So we have the nature of Jesus' authority. We have seen that the consequences of rebellion. Finally, we want to look at the, the, that honoring Jesus' authority, that it's not just about reward. It's actually, more importantly, it's about opportunity. You look at verse 16. There's a, very, there's a little phrase here that's really significant, and it marks an unprecedented shift in the plans of God. You look at verse 16, and it says that, uh, that this is what the master will do. 
He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Now, the, the, the key phrase here is it says, and he will give the vineyard to others. What Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, and they, they figured this out. They know what he's saying. He's saying there is a sacred trust that has been given to the Jews for generation after generation to carry on the kingdom God, the kingdom of God in this world. But because of the rebellion of the nation, this privilege and this sacred trust will now pass to another. Namely, the Gentiles. And that's why the religious leaders strongly objected. And they said, when they heard this, they said, surely not. They weren't saying, surely not, we're not going to die. They said, surely not, absolutely not. In a thousand years, this will never come to pass. We will always be the caretakers of the things of God. We will always be God's people. It will never be taken from our hand. It will never be given to another, especially not to the Gentiles, whom the Israelites, whom we deem as unworthy and unclean. We will always be the ones who will be doing the work of God, where the kingdom of God will reside. But we see in the book of Acts that this is exactly what happened, what Jesus prophesied, that bit by bit, the kingdom of God, the kingdom work in the world, moves away out of the hands of the Israelites and into the hands of the Gentiles, until it's completely in the hands of the Gentiles. Why? Because the Gentiles will be faithful with the trust. The Gentiles will respond to the authority of God. The Gentiles will repent and turn to God by the thousands. The Gentiles will bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. So that means when we honor the authority of God uh, it, in our lives, it opens up great opportunity for blessing. Not blessing for us, but really to bring blessing to others. I really think that, that I can speak for most of us when we would say that I would say that opportunity is better than reward. Opportunity is better than reward. I mean, we don't just want reward. We want the opportunity to make a difference. God could say, I'll give you lots of money or I'll give you the opportunity to change the world. Which one would we choose? We want the opportunity to make a difference. We want the opportunity to be a part of something significant. As followers of Jesus Christ, God now has given this sacred trust of the kingdom of God and kingdom work. He's taken it out of the hands of the Jews and he's given it to us, that we the Gentiles now, all of us Gentiles, that we are now entrusted with the kingdom of God, that, that, that we are now the conduits by which God is going to bring eternal life, peace, uh, the, the good news of Jesus Christ, the unfading hope of the kingdom of God, and, 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 and that's a trust now that is given to us. And, and we look at this and we say, uh, it, it kind of begs this question, um, does God move on? Um, do you ever wonder, you know, what if I don't, what if I am not faithful? What if I continue in rebellion? Would God really take away privileges and, and really give it to someone else? I believe that he will. And I believe that he does. I've seen it in the lives of individuals. I've seen it in churches where churches make choices to no longer live for the gospel, to no longer honor God's word, 
to no longer think about mission and just think about self and take care of self. And it doesn't matter whether there's lots of people in that church or nobody in that church. I really do see that God takes away this spirit, this opportunity of ministry and, and being this, this beautiful witness of God, that he will take that away and give it to another church that is willing to honor God, that is willing to live for him. I've seen it happen in people, people who are so faithful and so gifted, and then they make bad choices to do certain things about their lives. And I see God take away the, the, the things that, that I look at them and say, God could have done so many things in that individual, that God was at work with power in that particular individual. But because of the choices that they have made, the, the rebellion, uh, sometimes it's, it's like they marry, uh, uh, I would say marry the wrong person, but they marry against um, God's will. And it's clearly saying this is not a good thing. And, and, and they, 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 they say, but I just want to do this. It's a rebellion. And I literally just breaks my heart to see people who, who had this power of the Spirit of God on their lives and, 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 and the calling of God on their lives and the gifts that God has given to them and really literally, in a sense, watch it being taken away from them because of disobedience and rebellion. Now, will God, can God bring it back? Yes, of course he can. But when we think of the authority of Jesus Christ, we must understand that the opportunities that we have is because of, of the authority of Jesus, that, that, that he is the one who has given us these things so that we might be faithful with them. And that if we're not, if we continue in rebellion, uh, uh, that God has the authority as well to say, I'm gonna give it to someone else who will be faithful. And we can't say, oh God, that's not fair. We can't. And so it's not to be, to, to scare us, but to really say, uh, you know, take God's authority very seriously. Take, take this issue of rebellion that he has the, he has the right to, to speak into our lives when we're doing something wrong. He has a right to change the course of our lives. No matter how much, how far we've gone and how much we've put into it, he has the right to say, I'm gonna tear it apart. Because you are mine. And I have the authority over this temple and my temple, this temple is gonna be the house of prayer. It's gonna be a place of prayer. It's gonna be a place where the spirit dwells and it's not gonna be a place where, 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 where sin dwells and where sin reigns. Right now, God is upheaving the world. He's tearing apart the world system. He's tearing down satanic strongholds. He's tearing up satanic practices. He's clearing out whole territories of darkness around the world. He is making all things new. He is, he is here, he's gonna be doing it among the single moms. I believe that he's gonna be tearing down strongholds among the single moms that are attending the workshop that, 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 that's going on now in Living Hope. He will do it here in this church, tear down the strongholds that, that are holding us back in, 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 in the church and and in our community around us so that, that, that we indeed will be those people um, who will shine for Jesus. He will do it in your life. He will do it in my life. 
if, if we honor his authority, if we, we, we really do say, hey, Jesus is the king, and we know what that means, you know, we say Jesus is the king, and he says, oh yeah, we think, oh, that means king, my friend, no. We say Jesus is the king, means he has authority. He has authority to interrupt our lives. He has authority to call out our sin. He has authority to tear it all up and rebuild it again. And we're so thankful because God, man, when he does his work and when he, he does his thing, he does his thing. And we're excited. Let's go ahead and let's let's spend some time in prayer right now and let's really bow before the Lord. If God